and welcome to the Fast Leader Podcast. HFL is producing the podcast to help the ongoing learning of our alumni of Fast Lead Small Group Coaching and Leadership Development Program. At HFL, we're about helping frontline leaders lead better and be the best leaders they can be, because every employee should have an inspiring leader. Hello, my name is Darren Fox, and I'm your Fast Leader host, and this episode of the Fast Leader podcast is about coaching and developing others towards higher levels of performance. In the Fast Lead program, we spend a significant amount of time focusing on the role of the leader's coach. And the idea is that in most situations between a leader and a team member are most effectively dealt with through a coaching approach. However, it is not an approach or skill that comes naturally to most new people leaders. So we spend a significant amount of time learning and practicing coaching techniques throughout the program. The topic of coaching and developing others is relevant to all people leaders. Even the most experienced leader could benefit from a refresher on coaching others. So if there are any long-term leaders listening right now, I hope you also stick with us for the next 30 minutes and maybe even send us some feedback or thoughts about this podcast at our fastlead.com website. Joining us today in the podcast are Rachel Grant, the Global Head of Talent and Capability at Genesis Care. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Wonderful to join. And we also have Greg Holland King, Principal Consultant at GHK Consulting and an Associate at the Melbourne Business School. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Rachel and Grant, I mentioned earlier that at HFL, we believe that the best outcomes between a leader and an employee can be most effectively achieved through a coaching approach. However, I know from my experience of coaching new leaders that you know they know this intuitively, but inevitably, the question always comes up about when is it not a good time to use coaching technique and why. So uh, Rachel, I think I might turn to you first in terms of get your thoughts. Perfect. Thanks, Darren. I think this was an interesting question in terms of when is it not a good time to coach? As a people leader myself and someone who has helped other people leaders kind of coach as well is I always ask the question first, why are they questioning when that good time is? And the reason for that is I've found as I've grown up as a people leader, sometimes it's because I'm more comfortable with telling people or coming up with a solution for my team members rather than coaching. So sometimes I found myself and obviously new leaders that I coach now as well around, you know, they'll always ask me, is there a time where I shouldn't be coaching? Um, because they're so used to kind of coming up to the solution or solving the problem for their team that they're kind of almost trying to find a way out of coaching um, in a sense. And I, I know that feeling myself having become a new people leader. So I always kind of first want to start off with, you know, why are we asking the question around whether it's a good time or not? Just to kind of check whether we're still kind of coming back into that pattern of solution finding or problem solving and really starting to get into the mindset of, is this a coaching opportunity? So we should be asking ourselves more often, when is a good time to coach rather than when is it? And just checking in on that. And the second part is all around, I think, if you've had that conversation around, is it a coaching moment or not? Usually the answer around no comes down to the capability of the person that you're coaching. So is it a moment where you will be able to help them come to the solution or is it a lack of knowledge and skill that you might be looking at? So is it an opportunity to train that person and then really go through that flow of going from training to counselling to coaching? So I'm interested from Greg, from your perspective, obviously, firstly on that question around 
trying to get out of coaching. I think that you probably have a lot of experience with that. And then also some times where you've found potentially coaching might not be the right solution. Nice handover, Rachel. I think uh, if the two of you could just keep doing that, then I can just sort of sit back for the rest of the podcast and uh, have an easy one. Yeah. And Rachel, I agree with what you're saying. It's quite often that the first question is, should we be doing it? Why am I trying not to do it? Is there another alternative? For me, Coaching is really about the relationship you are going to have with that person. It's one of high trust. So as, as a coach, really it's about setting a safe environment for the coachee to think, share thoughts and feelings, and sometimes even be vulnerable. So the question about when's the perhaps not the best time to have a coaching situation or use as coaching technique, for me there are probably four elements the first being if there's a high level of emotion, either yours or that of the other person, then perhaps that's not the best time to initiate a, a coaching session. The second is around the time element. Do we actually have enough time to do this coaching session properly? And do we actually have enough time that after the initial coaching session, we have time to follow up with our coachee? The third for me is around if the person has a totally different reality check to the situation to ours, okay? So if that reality is not the same of ours or that person does not want to be coached, then I'd suggest we need to take a different tact. And the last one is that if you as a leader or you as a coach are not really genuinely interested in developing this person or the team, then I would suggest there's a different path that could be taken or should be taken. Yeah, completely agree with uh, that statement about what do you believe in as a manager. And if you're a person who doesn't fundamentally believe in ultimately in the growth of people and in the ability of people to, to step in, then you really have to question, are you the right person to be a people leader? Because really you could end up being an obstacle. Another question I was hoping to ask is, you know, this whole podcast is focusing on coaching others as a way to develop their people by helping them think through a problem themselves so that managers aren't shooting themselves in the foot. But so many leaders, even experienced ones, I find really struggle with how do I develop people outside of formal training? So this podcast is mostly about coaching, but it's also about developing others. And so managers really struggle, well, if I'm not going to send them to training, what other way of developing is there? So I was just wanted to maybe get your thoughts both in terms of advice that you give in terms of how to develop others outside of formal training. And one thing I might want to clearly say, and this is from a coaching conversation I've just had recently with somebody, uh, a manager who's actually writing the development plan for one of their staff members. And I said, stop doing that, throw it away. That's not your job. So Greg, what advice do you give to people leaders? Well, for me, it comes back to a question that I'm often asked. What's the difference between leadership and management and for me leadership is about relationships with people management is about policies procedure governance and companies need both but if we take the tenet that leadership is about relationships then I think what's important is for us to really know what motivates our people or our teams if we could find out what motivates those people on the teams and then we could start to think about setting up programs or parts of work which will assist them along those lines. And it's also about, for me, leaders not treating people the same. 
We need to treat people with respect, dignity and fairness, but we don't treat people the same. People are different. They've got different motivators. And I'm very much a fan of Hershey and Blanchard's situational leadership, which actually helps new leaders think about where their individuals in their teams are and how best to help the development through that at a one-to-one level. The other part, which I is really important for me, is around as leaders, are we setting a safe environment for our team and the individuals in it to actually learn and develop? Do we have you know, what I would call a just and fair culture for our people to develop or do we have a blame culture okay, and a punish culture? Uh, uh, sorry, what kind of culture? Blame and punish culture. A blame, okay. If we have a culture which is around blame and punish, people are not going to be open. They're not going to be open and they'll stop their learnings or help stop other people with their learnings as well. So for me, it's about treating people as individuals. It's about finding out what motivates those people. And it's about setting up a safe culture for people to actually learn from you as the leader, but from their peers as well, and not being afraid, not being afraid to take a chance. If I make a mistake or there's a near miss, there's going to be dire consequences for me. Good. Thank you. Rachel? Yeah, picking up on Greg's point, I think once those understandings and environment is there is then to say what does development look like for an individual and can definitely say as a people leader and as someone who builds the capability programs across an organisation, I currently get asked to put a lot of training on um, and have to constantly talk about what's the environment that we're setting, what is the motivations of that individual to develop uh, to begin with. And, And once that's in place, really to stretch the leaders across the organisation in terms of people learn in different ways. So formal training is one component of that and provides the knowledge and skills that potentially they might need. But on top of that, any formal training needs to be combined with some other aspects. And those other aspects are probably more important than potentially that formal training. So definitely, lots of the leaders on our call are very familiar with the term 70-20-10 of Harvard model around training. I have a slightly different view of that, but still agree that training is a small component. Apart from that, the two other areas I would look at is what I call everyday learning. So in the context of going on formal training, that's the time between formal training and then taking those skills and putting them into practice. So it's really about, you know, if there's a long time between that, you have the potential for that to to fall away. So really finding those opportunities to put it in place straight away. If there's no formal training in place, everyday learning is the, the learning that you just have as you interact. And that doesn't need a formal program around it. It's how do we build the interactions in someone's environment where they're picking up new skills just by the sheer focus of doing the role that they're doing. The genesis care for us that sometimes there's a new treatment technique that comes into a centre and it's getting people who wouldn't usually be involved in putting that in place to, to really get involved um, in, in doing that. The third area of learning that I would coach people around is social learning. So who is it that we connect in our networks to really learn 
from. So who is it that we can find that, that has knowledge in that area or is a really a specialist that we can kind of connect people with? And that's sometimes a formal mentoring program, sometimes not. It's about taking away the complexity around development and making it very simple. So I definitely agree with Greg's point. We've got to have a clear understanding of that individual and the differences that they want to see in terms of their own development and them taking the lead on that development, to your point, Darren, uh, to make sure that we've created a safe environment for people to learn because should we set them up with a network or a connection, they have to be safe to fail. Mm. Yeah, lots of really sort of great ideas there. It's certainly some things that I put in place myself. I like the phrase safe to fail because I always think... uh, delegation can be a bit of an art form think strategically in terms of how do I package up a task or a project rather than just giving it the flick and give it to the right person that's going to stretch them in the way that they need to be stretched to, to learn something in hindsight sometimes probably didn't package certain tasks up as well as I could have but yeah you, know, you learn the hard way and keep developing it as a manager and in those tasks and those projects should be safe to fail. What Rachel's saying is really important. That allows for people to have a safe space to be able to try new things, challenge themselves. We're going to make mistakes. We're human. So not feel like we're going to get punished for that, but we're encouraged to try new, you know, take calculated risks and move forward, I think, is really important. And I think learning organisations of today are moving away from just a training program and then you come back from that and then what and it's like you know you hop into a warm bath and it's wonderful and if you stay in there too long the water's going to get cold exactly no one keeps turning and putting more hot water in so we've got to keep putting that hot water in back in the workplace that's right and i like to call it the casino effect that a lot of traditional l d managers or training managers do is that they they take people out of the casino give them some training and what do they do? Put them straight back into the casino again. And what's going to happen eventually, uh, they'll fall back into all bad habits and behaviors that you were trying to address through the training anyway. Okay, so that's going to bring us to the end of uh, part one of our podcast. Uh, part two will be right back where I ask our guests to provide their best winning hints and tips for leaders about their coaching process. And in part three, I'm hoping uh, Rachel and Greg may share a personal story about their own uh, experience as a coachee and, and not a coach. Experts and technical specialists have never been more important or in demand, but that's not reflected in the leadership training they're given. Unlock the business potential of experts with Expertship, HFL's new development program for the individual contributors, technical specialists, and other experts in your organization. If innovation and business agility are important to you, learn more at expertunity.global. Welcome back. The GROW model is likely the most famous coaching model, or at least it is one that is most often taught to people like business people leaders who are not full-time professional coaches. It's popular because it is simple, common sense, step-by-step process that is effective for the majority of situations in corporate life. However, sometimes things aren't so simple, or a situation starts off as simple, but through the coaching conversation, it quickly becomes complex. Rather than describe each of the four key steps in the GROW model, I think our listeners could really benefit from your hints and tips about the curveballs a leader might experience in each of the four steps in the GROW model and how that leader might get 
the coaching conversation back on track? And if necessary, how might a leader know when the situation is starting to evolve suddenly into something that a coaching conversation can't resolve? And just as a quick reminder for our listeners, the GROW model, G-R-O-W, stands for Goals, Reality, Outcome, and Will, or Wrap-Up. Rachel, what are some of the things that might get in the way in the goals part of the coaching conversation, and how do you overcome these? Perfect. A great question, Darren. And I think definitely a great way of introducing the GROW model to step straight into to what are the things that kind of get in the way. I think definitely for the goals component of the GROW model is when I kind of use this or, or coach my leaders around it is they haven't even thought about the goal that they're kind of hoping to achieve from the conversation. So the sheer might have been able to plan around that and really get clarity of what is the goal here. This conversation has a purpose and how am I going to kind of get that across in the first 10 seconds of this conversation? The downside, if they haven't thought about the goal, is generally what I find is very waffling entries in a conversation uh, that tend to take more time than the point that they're trying to make. So in that, I think really getting clarity around what the goal is for the conversation and then secondly, getting agreement to that goal as well. And that can be implicit or explicit, I think, in the conversation. So the really strong areas when it's potentially a difficult or brave conversation, I find really coaching the team around stating that goal up front and really getting agreement to it or implicitly saying the reason for our conversation today today is X. So really getting that clarity between yourself and the individual as well. Great. Thanks, Rachel. Greg, I thought I might ask you then in terms of the next step in the model is reality. So what are some of the obstacles that a a manager could face in the reality section of the model and how could they get them back on track? I think the main one is really about the different reality that a leader or a manager can have to the individual And so what I encourage people to do is that have evidence-based information up your sleeve or in front of you. So you can actually talk about that. With evidence-based, it actually can make it more real to the other individual. That's the biggest trap for me is where an individual will have a totally different perception or a totally different reality of the situation, of what's happened, or the seriousness of it. So evidence-based is really important. The second one, which I've haven't come across a lot, but when I do come across it, it is a real curveball. And that is where the individual has actually a different set of values or a different set of beliefs. And those are pretty ingrained and they may be different to the leaders or different to the organisations. And when they're ingrained like that, it's very difficult for a leader to actually challenge someone's ingrained beliefs or ingrained values. So it's at that point, if you do get to that, I think it's my my advice is is that where we pull out of a coaching session and we take another methodology to move it forward. You know, quite often you will have people come into it and they they do have some, as Albert Ellis would call it, irrational beliefs about situations. We come across those and quite often it's my advice again is that person backs out of the coaching situation, can challenge them a little bit, but if they don't feel comfortable as a coach, back out of it and let this person get some other assistance through the organisation. It doesn't happen too often, I find, but I can even think about my own experience early on as a coachee 
getting my first sort of coaching uh, experience, you know, I went through this uh, process of where uh, a tool that identified me as nosebleed level perfectionistic. And the coach told me I'm at a level that will cause, you know, statistically causes heart disease in, in men 15 years later. And I said, and I just went off and I said, people aren't perfectionistic enough. I love being perfectionistic. It makes me good at what I do. I need more people like me. And I just went on, on, and on, and on. And I think the coach basically decided, well, rather than fight it, he made the call and said, let's just see how that progresses over time. Stick to that value and see that, how that sort of hinders you or supports you over time. And he was tenacious about it. And in the end, you know what? I realized, yeah, being perfectionistic was more of a problem than something that supported my career and my health. I'm much better now. <laughs> okay, Rachel, what about the uh, outcome section of the girl model? Excellent. I think outcome is the part of the model that everyone wants to jump to in the conversation. So I have three key things that I think that get in the way in terms of, of really getting quality outcomes out of a conversation. The first one is jumping to solution mode. So I, I run a lot of sessions sometimes where we do some role play and a question I'll sometimes ask is who has come up with these solutions? Mm. Who was the one making the recommendations in the conversation? So I think as a coach, again, that a focus of coaching, which we all know, is that you don't come up with the solution. So it's really about how do you go through that part of the conversation in a way where you're really constantly pulling out those solutions from the individual. And that mm. can be quite a hard space to stay in, especially if you're a line manager or that people manager, given that your outcomes in the conversation or you are wedded to the outcome that they come up with as well. So I think definitely having a focus on who is coming up with the solutions. Am I finding myself for one reason or another going into solution mode as a coach? The second one that sometimes stumps up coaches in, in this particular area is when you get the I don't know. So you've asked, you've gone out of your way to not be solutions driven and you're not giving them the answers and you've asked them, you know, what would you do about this? How do you think we can go about this? And they go, I don't know. Um, I love the technique that I have started to put into place quite recently is the if you did know, what would you do? Mm. Uh, and uh, I've been challenged, I think, by my own coach to, to use that technique, and it works. Uh, I think it's the ability to open up possibilities. So it's that blue sky, hypothetical question. If you did know, what would it be? If you were sure, what could it look like? If you had some clarity, how would you go about it? So it's just being able to, to create that blue sky thinking without potentially asking the old coaching question, which used to be, if all of these issues weren't at play, what would you do about it? So it's just a way of bringing that back again. The third one I like to touch on is once you start getting those possibilities out, is that sometimes as a coach, especially again, if you're a people leader and playing a coach role, is that some of the possibilities that people will be coming up with in the back of your mind, you'll go, well, I know that that's not possible. Mm -hmm. I can't put that solution in place or, or we can't for X, Y, and Z reasons. And potentially sometimes the reaction of the coach in that situation is to jump in and say, we can't do that, or that doesn't sound like a great answer. So as a coach, your role there is someone's on a roll with those possibilities. You let them run with those. Get out as many things as you can on a piece of paper 
as a coach, I will have a notebook next to me and I'll be writing out all of the possibilities that they've come up with. And it doesn't matter how drastic they are. It doesn't matter the quality of the possibility that they've come up with. It's the fact that they've come up with them. Mm. And then after that, I will go through an exercise with them going through potentially the pros and cons of each of those possibilities. And what you will find is they'll start self-selecting out the ones that you knew weren't possible to begin with. It's a really great activity to do. So those are my kind of three areas is making sure that they're coming up with the solutions, combating the I don't know and persisting there, and then looking at the possibilities and the pros and cons. Rachel, I just have to say that was a great summary, particularly around combating the I don't know. The best coaching is by asking the questions and pushing it back. And I thought that was an excellent summary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Coaching is really ultimately just a series of questions in the end, and except perhaps, Greg, in the last section around wrap-up. So what, what might be some curveballs that a coach might face? I think there are a couple of them. The first one is if we don't actually reach an agreement on a path forward. And as a coach, you actually might think you've reached an agreement, but the coachee might not be in agreement with you. So if there's no clear expectations from here moving forward, you've got troubles. You need to be able to leave with an agreement, with clear expectations, and you need to be able to also don't think that the coaching is just finished at that session. Part of the wrap-up, if you like, or the will, is to put some time frames around it, to put some observable behavioural changes in place and also to have regular check-ins along the way and to be able to give some feedback. And if your person is developing, catch them doing something right and gives us some of that feedback. Quite often I feel that we catch people doing things wrong way too often and we don't catch them doing things right and give them some of that reinforcement as they are trying to change their either attitudes, their language, their behaviour, and that reinforcement does help. Mm. So for me, it's really around making sure we've got agreements when we leave that session, and then my role and your role during the transition as we move forward. Mm. Excellent. Thank you. Now, I actually just had another question pop into my head. I'm going to throw you a curveball, Rachel, because it's specific to people leaders. Thinking back to a conversation I had with a manager in the past, I was an experienced manager, she was an experienced manager, and we're having a conversation and I stopped, wait a minute, are you coaching me right now? <laughs> so I think you'd be in the same boat, either as a coach here or as, as a coach. I don't think she handled it. <laughs> so how would you handle with someone who's actually now become aware of the process? You're just coaching me right now. It's a really great question, Darren. And I actually had the same conversation only a week ago as well. Okay. Someone that I had in a development program and then has gone out of their own to actually create a consulting business. And so we had a first conversation where I squarely felt that I was now the client and the coachee the other way around, which was really actually quite nice. So I have had that a few times, especially in development programs. We teach people how to coach and then I need to continue to coach them afterwards. So I regularly get the question, are you coaching me? And I always ask the question back, why would I be doing so? 
you know, what is the impact or advantage that you have by me coaching you? And it's mm. really great aha moment for them because they see the, the impact that coaching can have and the outcome that it can achieve. So they know that it's happening and they know the reason why. And I actually end up getting quite good comments around that's a great question and I'm going to steal it. So, great. so I think you really have to be transparent. Even people that don't particularly understand a coaching model or haven't been trained on it is you do actually need to be quite open that you're having a coaching conversation. And that's something I would do even if the person wasn't trained in coaching. Uh, But yeah, every now and then I'll find myself, even a social situation, coming up with coaching questions and, and I get asked, are you coaching me? You know, stop work, Rachel, we're having a drink this afternoon. All right. All right. Thanks, uh, Greg and Rachel, for your great insight. That brings us to the end of part two of this fascinating podcast. Stay with us for the third part where Rachel and Greg share their own personal coaching stories. FastLead is an innovative, high-impact leadership development program for small groups. You pick the topics and learn in short, punchy and practical sessions that give you plenty of time to try your new skills in real life. 94% of alumni report that FastLead improved their leadership skills and confidence. Learn more at fastlead.com. Welcome back, and we are in the third and final section of this Fast Leader podcast. We often finish the the last section of the podcast with some personal reflection or story. Would you be willing to share a quick story about a highly impactful coaching situation you experienced as a coachee? What did your coach do that you think had such an impact, and what was the outcome for you? Greg? Yes. I had one particular coach who I really admired, and, and this person was really highly emotionally intelligent. They were absolutely aware of their impact that they were having during the discussions. So whether it be their words or their behaviours, the impact that that was having on setting, they created a safe place for me to think and reflect and open up. Highly empathetic, they challenged me. And really because of that, it led to a high level of trust and a knowledge of confidentiality about the topics that we were discussing. So for me, I think you know, the best coach I had was that person who, if you summed it up, emotionally intelligent, set up a safe, trusting environment and actually cared. And that caring part was really important. That, that came through. And I try and model myself on that person as a coach today. And uh, Rachel, what about your experience? I think uh, picking up on Greg, I think definitely the safe and empathetic is something that I look for in a coach and is also a reflection, hopefully, of myself in terms of I can't connect necessarily with someone who's too strong or too directive. So I think for me in terms of the experience, I was very new to career, so a very young and also obviously female in an industry that was consulting. So this was 10 or more years ago. So it's a very different environment. So for me, I felt very vulnerable and and quite open in in situations where I was in front of clients and executives quite often. So for me, I needed that empathetic or safe space in order to be coached. So 
that experience for me was it was about perspective. So a coach being able to widen the perspective that I have and others have and allow me to kind of work through the impact I have in a room and the impact the room has on me in terms of presence and what that means in terms of the different perspectives that we have. So I found that quite strong that they, again, were safe and empathetic, but challenged me a little bit around, am I just experiencing assumptions around how people are perceiving me in a room and what are the assumptions that the room might hold of me as well and really challenging me to break down the assumptions that I'm making and also then come across in a way in a presence that I can have in a room that would challenge other people's assumptions as well. So I think just being able to create and ask questions that open up possibilities for me was really quite impactful and and something that I've taken forward in future coaching arrangements, even when I still continue to be the coachee, is I'm really looking for someone to open up possibility, to ask me a question that just makes me stop uh, and reflect on on what I'm doing or all the assumptions I'm making about a particular situation. So that's what I definitely value. Thank you, Rachel. Those are two great stories. Thank you for all your great insights into the coaching process. I'm sure all our listeners will have some great value from the past half hour. Before we sign off, I'm wondering if uh, you both like to say a few words about your organizations and the services they provide. Rachel, can you talk about Genesis Care? Sure. So uh, Genesis Care is a global healthcare provider of two very key areas that we find in terms of disease burden in the world, cancer and heart disease. We have centres across Australia, the UK and Spain, and now we have business in the US as well. So we provide cancer treatment and treatment for the heart. Really, our core focus at Genesis Care is all about the patient experience and opening up access to those treatments where they wouldn't normally be. So being at the forefront of different treatments that weren't available even probably two years ago, that means we can increase survivability in our two biggest disease burdens, the closest thing that we can have to a cure at this point. Excellent. And Greg, what's the focus of your work? I run a small management consulting company that where its focus is really on aligning individuals to their work groups and then to the organisation. We do that by really challenging all three to reflect on the way they're operating today. Is that really the way they want to operate tomorrow? Can they improve individually as a work group and as an organisation? And we also then assist them on a transition journey to where they actually want to be or where they want to go. Our focus is obviously on the leadership and the people side We do work on the strategy, and it's not just within their own organisation. It's also with external stakeholders. How do they actually improve the relationships they have, the understandings they have, to be in a position where they really do want to be tomorrow improved from where they are today? So that's part of the GHK Consulting. I'm also a coach for um, HFL and have been there doing that for five or six years and thoroughly enjoy the work that they do. And thirdly, my other little gig is around being associated at the Melbourne Business School where I'm involved in facilitating leadership programs and coaching through there. Thank you, Greg, for that insight and also the plug for HFL. That brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you very much, Rachel and and Greg, for your time. Welcome. Thank 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 you.
Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at fastly.com with any questions. We'd love to hear your ideas about topics for future podcasts. You can also check out the FastLead website, fastlead.com, for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 FastLead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the FastLead podcast. Thank you. Thank you.